just a dirt road with trash on each side, but I was Mary and Freddy when Daddy let me drive. This is Mario Andretti, and you are listening to Below the Yellow Line. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Below the Yellow Line podcast. It is not often that one name and one man become revered in a sport. How could just one man transcend a sport and the entire way the sport is perceived and also become perhaps maybe its most famous name in pop culture? Today, I have the man who I personally believe did just that with me in the virtual Below the Yellow Line studio Mr. Mario Andretti. Sir, how are you doing today? Wonderful, Samuel. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I, I tell everybody I interview this, uh, but any day I'm interviewing somebody, it's a great day, but especially when I'm interviewing a man that uh, has has done it all, somebody that I've always looked up to and and uh, certainly one of the greatest uh, drivers, um, not just of your generation, but of all time, of, of all, all the generations. Um, Thank you. I've asked a lot of younger drivers. I've had the chance to interview some drivers in the lower levels of NASCAR, of ARCA, some short track racers. Um, and I feel like everybody's answers vary, but I'm interested from your perspective growing up and becoming a driver in a different uh, time span. When did your interest in auto racing start and how did you kind of become Mario Andretti? Well, my interest started when I was just uh, even just a young teenager uh, when my reasoning started um, was, uh, yeah, I was still living in Italy and uh, my twin brother and I were just, we gravitated to the sport because uh, it was so prominent in Italy because of uh, uh, this, I'm talking about the 50s, that's when we were teenagers and uh, you had a current world champion there with Ferrari and uh, then you had Maserati and those brands were competing uh, and competitively in Formula One. And so as kids, uh, obviously, you know, uh, they didn't have television, but they had newsreels, you know, and uh, especially when we go to a movie, they always would have an intermission before, you know, in between the, uh, the, the you know, the, the main, you know, the, actually the, the, feature, uh, mm-hmm. the feature film, uh, just to let the smoke out <laughs> and then during the intermission you know it would be like a 15 20 minute intermission they would have newsreels and uh motor racing was prominent on there and that captivated us uh, uh and uh and it, from there on after aldo and i um, attended the 1954 italian grand prix in monza um i said this uh, always i said that there was never a plan b for us uh, <laughs> the, the impossible dream sort of set in at the time and uh and the idea of pursuing this uh, just became uh, our religion and uh when we arrived to america uh, we discovered there was a track right here in nazareth uh and um two years after arriving we arrived at age 15 Two years later, we started building a stock car. A, 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 it was not a modified, it was a sportsman stock car to race locally. And, um, and in 1959, at age 19, that's when we started. And my career began then and uh, went uninterrupted uh, through officially through 1994. Uh, still did uh, Le Mans three times after that. But um, nevertheless, you know, I. Uh, uh, you know, I went through uh, 
uh, almost 900 races uh, throughout my career and uh, and pretty much uh, accomplished uh, uh, my most ambitious uh, endeavors and my ambitious dreams, if you will. Um, it's all about winning. It's all about whatever you are. Uh, and for me, it was uh, like going to school. You know, you, you don't want to repeat the grade, right? So, um, you know, I started in stock cars, winning there. And then we got into three-quarter midgets in winter. I won there and I earned myself uh, a ride in a full-size midgets, ARDC, which was prominent, prominent uh, midget uh, club here in the East. And um, from there, the USAC uh, sprint cars, and then uh, then the champ cars and on and on. And then Formula One was always in, you know, in my scope. And uh, But meanwhile, I did some uh, sports prototype long distance races before that. Um, you know, obviously I had to uh, get my skills up to, to some level, you know, uh, in road racing because it was not as popular. But fortunately, even in USAC and in, um, in the Champ Car Series, uh, uh, my first year full-time in 65, there was one road race uh, uh, part of the championship, and I won that. You know, so, uh, and obviously I was really, really lobbying for that as well, as you can imagine. But, um, and actually even, even before that, in 1963, uh, while driving midgets, there was one road race in that series that was in Lime Rock, Lime Rock, Connecticut. And I won that one as well. So, as you could see, you know, road racing was, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, mainly because of Formula One. And, uh, but... Um, Again, you know, the, the, the progression was uh, uh, better than I ever th hoped for, quite honestly. So, uh, uh, as you can imagine, I'm certainly counting my blessings along the <laughs> way. And, uh, and again, yeah, when I look back, I, uh, I'm very, very proud, very, very, uh, 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 you know, just... Uh, I cannot express myself even, you know, to any degree as far as uh, um, I, did, I, I accomplished maybe more than I deserve, quite honestly. So I'm <laughs> grateful for that. Absolutely. And, you know, I think uh, your decision might have been, you know, one of the best in sports history to pursue racing. And obviously uh, it yielded um, a great harvest of wins and championships. And you talked a lot about road racing there and then how, you know, you kind of felt your specialty was road racing, but you were pretty decent on the ovals and especially in the crown jewel races. Now, this is a NASCAR podcast. Most of the time, I'd be remiss to uh, not mention your 1967 Daytona 500 win for Holman Moody. Um, this the best you can, Mario, take us kind of through that day um, and that race winning the uh, the ninth annual Daytona 500. Well, obviously, um, you know, that uh, practice uh, started out quite nicely. Uh, uh, there was my uh, second experience there at Daytona in a stock car. And um, the, my previous one uh, was with a smoky eunuch in a Chevelle. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't have a great experience there because uh, I had nothing to do with the setups and uh, uh, anyway, it was a big experiment, but uh, once uh, I, I got with the, the Home and the Moody group, uh, you know, it was a good basic setup. The car unloaded quite nicely, uh, quite balanced, 
and uh, that was good for me because uh, you know not having the experience uh, I knew what felt good and I knew what didn't but when it felt good I could go and um, and so throughout though I mean it was a very positive uh, we had some issues uh, but not getting probably them you know the most uh, powerful engines uh, at the beginning um, of practice and, and actually for first a single qualifying but uh, once I was able to lobby a little bit and uh, get into that area then all of a sudden uh, you know the, the the pace came around and uh, in fact I was practicing uh, uh, with a new engine before the uh, the twin qualifiers I was uh, just a little bit quicker than what Paul was, you know, with Curtis Turner. So I knew that I had the pace and um, it was a matter, matter of just keeping it all together. Uh, because I didn't have the pace qualifying, I opted to qualify with a much lower spoiler, 60 degree spoiler. And most of everyone was going with 45 because thinking of the race and, and I had to race with what I qualified. So once I got the, you know, the engine uh, that I, I needed, <laughs> uh, the speed was there, and, but the car was uh, aerodynamically quite loose. So it was very balanced uh, mechanically. Uh, but uh, so I had to be very careful where I would really ride on a banking when I was in traffic and uh, where if I was going to be overtaken, uh, I was trying not to be overtaken on the outside and all that. So. It was, um, you know, I had to be uh, very much on my toes throughout the race, uh, but uh, but it really worked for me because uh, I had to lead, and uh, in those days uh, it was a premium to be able to 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 you know to uh, to to follow and to to be on a slipstream uh, because of uh, you save a lot of fuel, but uh, I just could not afford that because I was so loose, you know, when I was in the draft. Uh, so, but I was lead, leading fine, and, uh, and when I when I had uh, some uh, you know battles and so on and so forth uh, along the way, I uh, I felt pretty confident. You know, I knew where I had to ride. So, you know, uh, again, it was a very very satisfying race in every way. Um, you know, to be able to pull it off. Uh, my teammate was Freddie Lorenzen, as you know. He, you know, obviously. Uh, uh, you know, I was a great champion there and uh, and was able to, uh, you know, to deal with him. In fact, uh, for the last stop, uh, they, they we came in together, you know, I was I was leading and he was behind me and they let him out of the pits first and uh, I had to chase him down and uh, and then I couldn't shake him uh, until uh, we came up to some lap cars and uh, once I, once I, I, I was able to shake him, then he couldn't catch up with me, and and then I was fairly safe. Because if he would have been riding my draft, uh, especially in those days, there's no way that you could lead the last lap and hope to win, you know. <laughs> so uh, everything worked out for the best. And uh, again, it was an incredibly satisfying win, as you can imagine. Well, I'd, I'd imagine beating, uh, beating a lot of those Ford factory teams at Daytona back in the day, especially beating one with fearless Freddie behind the wheel is certainly an accomplishment, um, no matter who you are. Um, but that Daytona win is a, a race that I, um, that I rewatch often. And, um, I watch a lot of old Daytona 500s often, but watching the battle between you and Fred and, and a lot of other great guys out on that track is always, yeah, Pearson, uh, Pearson and I had a, had a 
quite a go there for many, many laps. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. Man, David Pearson, when you beat him at Daytona in a car where, I mean, there's a, I can't remember which Firecracker 400 it was, must have been 76 or 77, one of those, when he he uh, he faked out Richard Petty, thought he was out of gas, and then he he pulled a, pulled a, um, a uh, why, why am I, why can I not remember, slingshot, pulled a slingshot on him going down the front straightaway and, and ultimately took the win. He was um, a great guy. <laughs> Um, that's one crown jewel we've talked about, but the other is, is probably not just the most famous stock car race in the world, but the most famous race in the world. And that being your win in the 1969 Indianapolis 500, uh, by that point, I believe you'd already won an IndyCar championship, but still relatively, you were kind of new to IndyCar. I think you'd only been there for maybe five or six years, which maybe now that's a veteran, but maybe not back in the day. Um, what was it like though, to win Indianapolis, to kiss those bricks and just to be, to know you were a part of the history and tradition that really only Indianapolis provides? Well, here again, um, I think Indy was, uh, was quite good to me right from the get go, you know, from my uh, rookie year and so forth. And, uh, you know, I won two national championships back to back and then I had two second place finishes before 69. So I was up there and, um, and competitive, you know, I was on pole already twice at Indy, and um, and it basically uh, reliability eluded me, uh, you know, of any possibilities. I think Indy in '66, especially, I think I could have won probably my uh, easiest race anywhere. Uh, at the start, I lost a cylinder. I was on seventh cylinder at the start, and I, it took uh, Jim Clark, who won the race the year before three laps to get by me. So as you can see, if I would have had all eight, I would have been in pretty good shape. But nevertheless, uh, come 69, as you said, I already had, um, you know, two championship, two second place finishes. And, um, and you know, we were on our way uh, pretty much, uh, you know, even at the start of the year, already had two wins before Indy. But, but we had a problem with the main car with the main effort there going into the race uh, with a four-wheel drive a lotus uh, lotus ford uh, and uh, uh, and actually the the car actually showed some weaknesses because uh, my my teammates uh, on the other side well you know on the actual team lotus team there were two crashes because of uh, uh, suspension failures and, and Lord and behold, you know, I was setting some records at practice and uh, Thursday before qualifying, two days before uh, first day of qualifying, um, my right rear wheel, the, the, the hub sheared and I had a huge crash into turn four with fire and everything else. And, uh, and I was lucky that I, you know, I had some facial burns, but uh, I was lucky that I didn't have any more injuries. And uh, so we had to pull out and they withdrew. We had a spare car, but they withdrew the cars because of uh, the failures. And they figured that there's no way they can go 100 miles, especially. And those days we're running a practice, a light load of fuel. So with a full load of fuel it would have been even worse. Anyway, um, I had two days basically uh, to get the car up to speed, the, the spare car, which was a, the, basically a traditional car, was uh, uh, you know, two-wheel drive and uh, was not meant 
that were designed to 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 be race steady actually <laughs> and um anyway i go out and i uh i put on the front row in the middle of the front row between aj foyt and bobby answer and so that was encouraging but uh, we had no idea about the reliability but then nevertheless the car held together and uh, i led more than half the race and um and I won that one. It was satisfying. Why? Because I felt that I've been denied because of uh, reliability situations uh, before. Uh, three years before that, I lost three engines where I was totally competitive. So uh, it was a big, big lift off my, I mean, weight off my shoulders, if you will, just to get that in because I said, what do I have to do to finish this race again? You know, so. Uh, and I felt that uh, with some luck, I was going to win some more and uh, certainly led my share of laps there at Indy, but um, only have that one to show for. I feel like your story at Indy is, is pretty similar to Dale Earnhardt's in the Daytona 500. You got your win much earlier in your career than Dale did, but just I think CBS had a graphic the year that he won it, like every lap that he's led except number 200, and there were only four laps maybe that he led aside or that he didn't lead rather aside from the final one and and you know you got your indy 500 but there was a lot of rough years in there at indy too but just winning one of those and uh, i mean immortality basically i mean nobody's ever going to forget your name everybody you know th they would have known you anyway based on what you did i think you had a pretty solid resume more so than most people um that have ever driven anything but uh, uh indy is certainly a big one to get um no matter who you are um for sure Let's see here um you talked about starting on the front row with aj foyt bobby unzer even if you're not a racing fan it, you at least know the name aj foyt um he also uh had some success in nascar as well but maybe all three of you didn't know it at the time that you know you'd become three of the greatest drivers ever but what was it like to share the track with them? Were, were you friends? Were you rivals? You know, what was the dynamic like between three, you know, the three generational talents of the time? Well, we were friends, you know, through respect. I had, uh, I was, you know, palling around with uh, Bobby Anser, especially uh, during my sprint card years, you know, throughout, uh, you know, obviously uh, he flew his bonanza and I used to pay for the fuel. So we would ride together and uh, so we had um, yeah yeah we we spent a lot of time together and uh, AJ was uh, we were a little more distant there but uh, I think AJ my friendship uh, sort of grew after we both came out of the cockpit more <laughs> than anything uh, I think I was a thorn on his side at the beginning you know when I came on the scene um, he was already established as a champion five years my senior and and I was kind of um, annoying him a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but uh, again, uh, the respect for him uh, was always there and uh, more than ever. And um, and it's drivers like of that caliber, you know, that make you a better driver because you know that uh, uh, you got work to do, you know, uh, to be able. And, and if you're going to be able to win races, that's who you have to be. And, uh, and that's a, that's the beautiful uh, thing about it, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's what life is all about, and uh, and I, you know, maybe uh, I more the more and more that you you know think about it and so forth. You said 
uh, how valuable that was, you know, to be able mm -hmm. to assess that and, uh, and, and take it on as a positive, not a negative. There's a saying in sports that's, I don't know how long it's been around, but it's still, it's always going to be prevalent. And that's that to be the best, you have to beat the best. And every week, I mean, you guys, if you weren't winning, you were at least competitive in practice or qualifying, leading laps, doing something. I mean, you guys were the best. And obviously uh, you and, and Bobby Unser have both had um, family members that could also be uh, in those ranks as well. Um You've accomplished so much. I mean, we could make this a seven-hour episode just going over every single race win and championship and, and you know, individual experience. And you even said after you officially retired, you still ran Lamar. Um, and is there one moment, is there one accomplishment that do you think sticks out a little further than, than all the rest? Is there one trophy that's a little shinier than another? Well... I mean, I have to go back to where it all started. And um, uh, for me, when I look back, uh, winning the world championship was the original impossible dream. <laughs> and, um, but along the way, there was so much else to do before you could even start doing that. And it's not that, I mean, a championship, no matter where, whatever you do, in whatever aspect, I mean, whatever category, discipline, it's always a, a lot of work, a lot of commitment, a lot of everything, and, and a lot of satisfaction in the end when you win it. Um, this one, you know, when you psychologically, when you go back to uh, where, when the dream all began, uh, that's the one. That's the one that has to be. Uh, and to clinch it in Monza, where I saw my very first Grand Prix ever at age 14, and I won that. I won at Monza. I won the Formula One race. I won a six hour, that was a thousand kilometers at Monza. You know, so you, you see what I mean? It's, uh, it's, that's when you say coming full circle, you know? So, um, yeah, the, the satisfaction came, but then, you know, then, you know, I, I came out of, uh, uh well, I came out of Formula One at uh, basically age, age uh, 40, 41. And, uh, and then I had 18 more IndyCar championship wins and, uh, and one national championship. So as you can see, I go along the way and no matter where I stop in my trophy case, I say, oh yeah, this was the one. Ah, this was the one. This was the one. <laughs> You know, it's, uh, they all bring that satisfaction of the moment, you know. Uh, so, um, again, um, but uh, uh, like I said before, when I look back, is uh, how blessed I really was. Sir, thank you so much for coming on the show, taking time out of your schedule. Um, we really appreciate it. If I could virtually shake your hand, I would. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> computers aren't that advanced yet. Take care. Um, but I really appreciate it. Yes, sir, you too.